0: 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 20, 1 through 20. I'm glad it's Bible study tonight. Amen. That's a big chunk of Scripture. Hello. Romans chapter 3, verse 1, it reads like this. Paul writes, he says, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Remember we talked about that awkward conversation last week. Much in every way, chiefly, because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? Are we as slanderously reported as some affirm that we say? Um, Their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they have, pra- they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is upon their lips, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the, uh, the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, It says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Lord, once again, I thank you for your word tonight and I pray that you would take this truth. Let it ring home in our hearts And help us to leave this place with more understanding of your word. Holy Spirit, speak to each and every one of us in an individual way. We'll be so careful to give you the honor that is deserved to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. All right. Is everybody awake tonight? Amen. Well, we're we're glad that you're here. We're excited that you're here on Wednesday night. Listen, I love Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights are so different from Sunday mornings and they're that way on design where we can slow down and just get into the word and just teach and plow and undercover, uh, uncover some things and, and build doctrine and establish truths. That's what I love about Wednesday nights is for us to be able to come and to teach and to learn. And so we've been looking at the book of Romans and as we've seen over the last several weeks, it's such a doctrine rich book. Romans chapter 1 was certainly hard, heavy hitting. Paul was talking about not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for just the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek and those who believe. Um, he, he was talking about the importance of preaching the gospel, the gospel message. And we establish what that gospel message is. It's the good news. The good news of what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If a person calls themselves a preacher and they're not preaching about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, at some point or some time, doesn't have to be the subject of every message, but it does need to be the central focus of every message. If they're not preaching that, they are not a gospel preacher. They're a motivational speaker, and the world has enough of those. The motivational speech does not change the human heart. The human heart is only changed by the seed of the incorruptible word of the living God with the power of the transformative gospel. That's what God is trying to establish to the the church at Rome through the Apostle Paul. Then he goes on in the latter part of that chapter and really starts punching deep some of those things, those sins that the Bible calls abhor, abhorrent, abominable. And, and he talks about what happens when a society does what? They begin to push back. They begin to push back the truth of God. They suppress the truth and they sear their conscience. And then all of a sudden, three times, what did it say? God gave them up. He gave them up. He gave them over to a reprobate, debased mind that they might do those things which are uh, shameful. And so, Paul dealt with that. We jump over to chapter 2, and Paul starts talking about the righteous judgment of God and how God is, is righteous in his judgment because we are without excuse. Then last week, we looked at that uncomfortable message about circumcision, where Paul, in that one passage in the latter half of Romans chapter 2, uses the term circumcision like several times, circumcision, uncircumcision, and so I took time to explain why Paul uses those words, because if we're a new believer, maybe we may not be familiar with those things, but we talked about in the Jewish culture, circumcision was started by, by God through the Jews as a covenant sign of their relationship with the Lord. It was the cutting away of the foreskin that was useless. And so that was God in the Old Testament, making a public sign of his covenant with those people. It was a blood covenant, if you will. And so Paul was dealing with the self righteousness of the Jews who were saying, Well, we're more right with God than you are because we're circumcised. And Paul makes the argument. He said, there are Gentile believers who are better at keeping the law than you and yet you are terrible. You, you blaspheme the name of God among the Gentiles and, and you're self-righteous and, and Paul literally levels the playing field, right? He levels the playing field in the end of Romans chapter two and he says, look, we are all on equal playing field with God because true circumcision is of the heart, not of the outer flesh. That's what brings us, to Romans chapter 3. Paul is further taking the proverbial hammer and driving it into the casket of this argument. Has anybody ever heard the phrase, beating a dead horse? Paul is beating the dead horse. And why is Paul beating the dead horse? Paul's beating the dead horse because the horse that was dead needed to be beat. Um, you know, oftentimes we, we, uh, we, we talk about pastors or ministers or whatever, and we say, man, well, they're repetitive, or they've preached that before. They've said that before. But we forget, even Jesus said, and again, I say unto thee. You know why he did that? Because just like we eat hamburgers more than once, some of you have eaten pizza more than once, sometimes we need the truth over and over and over again to learn. And any good teacher will tell you repetition is a part of the learning process, right? Your kids didn't learn the ABCs the first time you had them write them out. They had to keep on writing them to keep on learning. So Paul is hammering this truth in as far as he can. And then right here, he begins to deal with this subject that sets everybody on edge. And here's what I've entitled this message tonight. I've entitled it, The Universality of Sin. The universality of sin. Now, how many of you have ever heard the phrase "guilty by association"? There have been people who have been 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 brought up on charges, and you know, you're in the car with somebody, and somebody has got drugs on them, and and you may not even have them on you, right? But then you get arrested, you get taken in. Why? Because you, there's guilt by association, right? There's certain things. Sometimes in a school setting or a college setting or sometimes in just in, in other aspects of life, if one person gets in trouble, everybody gets in trouble because it's a guilt by association thing. And the whole concept of Romans chapter three is Paul is trying to break down this idea that we're all guilty by association. The whole entire human race, Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, anything under the sun, we are all guilty standing before God without Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying we are guilty By association. You say, Pastor, what association is that? We're all guilty by the fall of Adam. The Bible calls that the original sin. Um, uh, David, the psalmist, in, uh, in his writing, in Psalm 51, uh, verse 5 and 6, you don't have to, to turn there tonight, but David makes this phrase. He says, in my mother's womb, he said, I was conceived in sin. I was shapen in iniquity. David was saying, I was born into sin. You know, the Bible talks about us being born into sin because Adam's fall, Adam's transgression, right? When Adam Fell and, and, and we say Adam fell. We know it was Eve that was, you know, ate the fruit. But Adam, being her husband, the one who was to cover her, was not where he needed to be. God held him to a level of responsibility. And so the Bible says through Adam all sinned. All. Somebody say all. all. Now that's important to, to know that we are sinners by default, human default. I've got news for you tonight. There's not a person in this world that has been born or whoever will be born, aside from Jesus, who was born saved. No, you know, Pastor, I don't don't believe that, you know, because children and innocence, and yes, I understand that, that, that doctrine about the innocence of children. I understand that. But I want you to understand something. The Bible doesn't say we're born into righteousness. In fact, it says the opposite. Jesus said you must be born again you got to be born again. So if you're born once, then you have to be born twice. What's born of the water is of the water. What's born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. Speaking to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3 about going back into his mother's womb and being born again, you know, Nicodemus was scratching his head. He was trying to figure out, Jesus, what do you mean I must be born again? I'm an old man. I can't go back into the birth canal. Jesus said, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Listen, the water speaks of the natural birth. How many of you know when a woman gives birth, her water breaks? Right, you're born of the water, and then you're born of the Spirit. Some people have erroneously taught that that's born of water baptism. That is not true. You don't find it in Scripture. Uh, you're not born of the water in that way. But you are born of the water, the natural birth. Then you're born into the Spirit, which is the second birth. Jesus said you must be born again. Why do we have to be born again? Why do we... Why are we so adamant that every man, woman, boy, girl, child must hear the gospel and receive it to be saved? Why is that so important to us? Because the Bible tells us without this hope of the gospel, man is lost. Lost as a goose. I mean, you're lost as a, as a ball in high weeds, as the country preacher said one time. You're lost as a needle in a haystack. Anybody ever drop something so small, and you try to find it, and it's like impossible? That's how lost we are without Jesus. Every single one of us, we are guilty by association. Guilty by association. That association being Adam. The great thing is that the Bible calls Adam, that Adam, the first Adam. But the scripture doesn't call Jesus the second Adam. The Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. For what Adam messed up in a garden, hello. How many know it was in the garden where Adam messed up? Where Adam messed up in the garden. Jesus, the second Adam, said yes to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he didn't mess up that time. The Bible says through one man, all have sinned, but then the Bible says through one man, Christ Jesus, all have been made righteous. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' death paid the price for all of humanity to be saved. Now, that doesn't mean salvation is automatic. We don't agree with the doctrine of what they call the doctrine of inclusion. Some people believe that. They believe you don't have to do anything to be saved. Jesus' death paid for everything. That's heresy. It's fallacy. We reject that. The Bible doesn't teach that. But the truth of Scripture is that Jesus' death, one-time sacrifice, paid the price for everybody's sin. But now what does man do? Man has to respond to that sacrifice. That's why we give altar calls. That's why we give invitations. That's why we tell people, you've heard the gospel. Now you must repent. Why? Because God has already done his part. We just have to tell mankind what God has done. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He said, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The ministry of reconciliation was given to Jesus by the Father, and then Jesus gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And so Paul is coming now into this Roman culture, and he's dealing with... This air, this arrogance of, well, I'm a Jew, so I'm better than all of you. I'm God's chosen person. And Paul, like I said, is beating that dead horse. And he's saying, listen, just because you're God's chosen people doesn't mean in that sense that you are any more better than anybody. Now, that rubs some people the wrong way because, because listen, we honor Israel as being God's people But God doesn't have a special way of salvation for Israel. In other words, Israel don't get to go to heaven just because they're Israel. Israel still has to accept Christ. That's the purpose of the tribulation period, folks. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the last shakeup for God to get Israel's attention before this tribulation period. uh, Or during the tribulation period, before the millennial period, rather. But God is doing his best to get these people saved. But right now there's a blindness upon their eyes. I'm going to read more about that. This book of Romans is so centrally focused on the Jew and the Gentile and salvation and redemption. And so tonight we need to really just kind of lean into that. But if we were to dissect this passage tonight, Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 20, I think we really could break it down in a couple of things. And the first one is this, if you're a note taker, the first one I would say is he shows us the human condition. Look at verse one through eight with me. It says, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. But what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, then what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God is increased to my life through his glory, then why am I still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported as some may affirm and say. Their condemnation is just. Paul impacts a lot there when he deals with the human condition. First of all, this human condition, we understand we all have the effects of sin by the fall of man. Uh, in, this, in this passage, just in these couple of verses, Paul's answering the question then, what advantage then has the Jew or what profit then is their circumcision? Because they are trying to boast in this justification of how right they are with God based on their position of covenant with him. There's an attempt to justify ourselves folks can I tell you something tonight it is human nature to justify ourselves when we're wrong when we when we are offended or committed offense we are immediately hardwired by fallen nature to justify ourselves why we're acting that way why we said this why we said that I've got a right I've got a position I've got this that the other and listen Paul is dealing with that it is the effect Of human, the human condition. Listen, God wants us to be humble. He does not want us to be proud. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Bible says if you exalt yourself, you will be brought down low. But if you humble yourself in the sight of God, he will exalt you in due season. What is Paul trying to say here in Romans chapter 3, verse 1 through 8? He's saying this, whether you be Jew or whether you be a Gentile, we all stand in the judgment of God without Christ. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. The Bible says that we are all in that way. Human nature, the human condition. The Bible is true when it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Folks, tonight, it would be wise for all of us to remember. And I don't want to get too far ahead because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to cover justification and righteousness and, and how is our position before God accounted if we're such a wicked people. If we're evil by human nature, Right? If we're we're so deplorable as the Scripture calls humanity without Christ, then how can a man ever be justified? How can a man ever be made right with God? We're going to be talking about those things. But right now, Paul is laying the case as a lawyer in this courtroom, showing the human condition that all have the effects of sin, all attempt to justify themselves, and get this, we all stand in the danger of judgment. Paul says, listen, he goes on to say this. He says, if, if I go out and lie, right? This is in these verses. Paul says, if I go out and say a lie and it causes people to come to Christ, he's like, is God wrong because he judges me? No, the law says, if you lie, you should be punished. He's dealing with the Jewish law. Paul says the end doesn't justify the means. And a lot of times we do that, don't we? We say, well, yeah, we know what the Word of God says, but, you know, we want to toe the line. We want to really push it to the edge. We want to kind of take it as far as we can. But God says, no, 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 that's not what we do. We uh, justify ourselves, and we stand in danger of the judgment of God. Now, let's look a little bit further. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. I want to read the rest of this passage. Verse 9 through verse 18. Look at this. The Bible goes on to say, He says, What then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we all, for we have been previously charged, both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. For it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. They all turn aside. They've all... uh, together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. And watch this. There's no fear of God before their eyes. The first thing we looked at was the human condition, but the second thing I want us to look at tonight is the weight of sin. The weight of sin upon the human heart. Paul plainly says then, are we better than they? No. And then what does he say? There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is no one who does good. There's no one. He goes on and lays this case to these people, the weight of sin is that the sin affects all of humanity. He says, there's none righteous. No, not one. The word righteous, it, it implies the word, or it implies the phrase, rather, to be right standing. To be in a right standing so if I'm righteous in the sight of God, then that means that I'm right in right standing with God, right? That's what righteousness means. Justification, on the other hand, is a related term, but justification means that um, when God looks at me, I am not, I'm, I'm looked at as not guilty, right? Justified. We probably learned this when we were younger. Justified. Justified, never sinned. God looks at us justified because of the blood of Christ. But without Christ, right? What happens? Our righteousness is like that of a filthy rag. I want you to think of an old shop towel full of dirt and mud and musk. Or better yet, what about a sponge that's been used to wash dishes and it's been sat on the ledge? And it has sat there, and it has gotten moldy and musty and stanky and nasty. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So gross. Smell that. It's so pungent. The Bible says our righteousness, like our own works, our own, uh, 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 our own uh, ingenuity, our own um, ability to try to work and to do good and to have some kind of external standing before God, our own righteousness is like filthy rag. What does that mean? It means, you know, we're, we're, we're guilty before God, but yet in our own circumstance, we want to try to work to do that. So we're like, you know what? Maybe, maybe if, if I give $10,000 to an orphanage, then God will somehow look over my sin. Or or, or maybe, maybe if I'm a millionaire and, you know, I've been cheating on my wife and I've been lying on my taxes. Maybe, maybe if I build a house for somebody, my good works will put me in right standing with God. Maybe if I do some charitable act or deed, and here's what Paul is trying to tell them. No good deed, no good action apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and his blood can make somebody right with God. He says, build your house, give your money. All of those things, they're good, they're noble, but they don't make a person right with God. If you take that away... And there's no relationship with Jesus. All there is, is external law keepings and external rituals. And don't eat and don't taste and don't touch. And trying to be a goody two shoes. And you don't have a relationship with God. What happens if you, you're like that? Paul says that righteousness. Nobody, not one person is righteous like that. The Pharisee who knows all of the scripture. The Pharisee who doesn't break the Sabbath. The Pharisee who, who knows not just the 10 moral laws, but the 613 other rabbinical laws, they know everything about the Old Testament. They, they know how many steps you should take on the Sabbath. They know uh, whether or not you should light a match on the Sabbath or whether you should spit on the ground in the Sabbath. By the way, you know that's a guilty uh, charge in the Bible for a Jew to spit on the Sabbath day. when you stand before God with this big long list of all of these right things that we've done, if that's our confidence, if that's our hope, if that's our attaboy, Paul said, you missed it. You've missed it. It's not that we shouldn't do those things. Those things are noble. Those things are right. Those things are great. Listen, you should honor God. You should honor the Sabbath. You should honor your father and mother. You, you should, you should have no other gods before him. You should do all of those things. But folks, listen to me. Without the blood of Christ applied to our lives through salvation, our righteousness means Nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. All that we have is sin and the works of the flesh, which cause so much damage to ourselves and others. Without God's righteousness, all we have is the weight and the effects of sin upon our lives. It's terrible. What does he say? He goes on, he says, uh, as is written, verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one, none who understands, none who seeks after God. They all have turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. Listen, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit, how they've spoken. But the poison of asp is under their lips, talking about their tongue. They've practiced deceit. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. And here's the kicker. Verse 18 says that the fear of, there is no fear of God in their, before their eyes. They don't fear God. They don't fear him. Let me tell you, when a person loses the fear of God, they lose everything. They lose everything. Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. And these people had no fear of God before their eyes. They just had the weight of sin. And Paul is, again, swinging this hammer, and he's saying, there's none righteous, no, not one. You know what Paul's Paul's trying to do here? Paul's trying to. Help me, Holy Ghost. Paul's trying to do here what most modern preachers are afraid to do. We get people to church, we say, you're so wonderful, you're so great, you're so whatever. And that's not how God looks at us without Christ. Without Christ, God says, you're lost, you're damned, you're doomed, you're hopeless, you're wretched, you're a stench in the nostrils of God. But here's the good news. God gave his son so that we might be reconciled to God to have forgiveness and everlasting life. And Paul, look, Paul didn't roll up in Rome painting some picture of something that they weren't. Listen, a, a doctor, a good doctor has to diagnose you before he can cure you. So vital. Who? The weight of sin And then Paul gets down to this issue, this very important issue in the last two verses of this passage. Look here. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it is to those who are under the law that every mouth, watch this, might be stopped and that all the world might become guilty before God. Hmm. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, watch this, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. May I ask you a question? Has anybody ever been out on a country road and you've been driving down a country road, you're not paying attention. You're just enjoying the scenery. If you're in Arkansas, you're enjoying the trees. If you're in Oklahoma or Kansas, you're looking into the next state, right? You're just driving along, You're so flat. Your dog runs away. You can see him for three days. You're just driving down the road, right? There's no, there's no stop sign to be seen. Guess what? Where there's no stop sign, I mean, not stop sign, there's no speed limit sign. Where there's no speed limit sign, you don't, is it 35 through here? Is it 55? Is it 70? Like what? You don't know. Because you don't know, there's no guilt. But guess what? The moment you see the sign and you receive knowledge of the law, knowledge of the law brings forth what? The knowledge of sin. And some of us transgress those anyway. Some of us carry weight in our stomachs. The rest of us carry weight in our our feet. We like to go fast. But the knowledge of the law brings forth the knowledge of sin. And here's what the Bible is trying to tell us. That the law was given to be a schoolmaster. The Ten Commandments was given to Israel. And here's the whole argument right here because they're like, we received the law of God. We have the covenant of circumcision. We're so much better. And God's trying to tell them through Paul who was one of them. Listen, this would be maybe a little bit harder if somebody who wasn't a Jew was coming to them. But Paul was coming to them as one of them. And he's saying, listen. God gave us the law, we can boast that God gave us the law, not in the fact that we're more righteous than anybody, but we receive the oracles of God. God gave us the law first, and you know what God gave Israel the law for? To show them how bad they were. He gave them the law to show them how bad they were, that they needed a Savior, they needed a Messiah. Because it's impossible for anybody to look at the Ten Commandments. Forget the other 613, but look at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, You know, all of those Ten Commandments. um, Any of us, you just start reading those and we're like guilty, 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 guilty. How many of you have ever not honored your father and mother? Guilty guilty committed adultery Gu- no not me that's not what jesus said jesus said if you look too long and you think about it too long you might as well have done it already so you're guilty too lie guilty said, Oh, preacher i don't lie come on men have your wife ever asked you honey does this does this dress make me look fat Well, it was a white lie. Okay, tell yourself whatever you need to tell yourself. Tell yourself whatever you need to tell yourself. Okay, yeah, I heard somebody. I said, I'm speaking faith. Okay, whatever. (laughs) But we start looking at the law, and it brings guilt. But instead, what did they do? Instead of allowing the law to do what it was supposed to do, which was to bring the knowledge of sin and point to a need to a Savior, they... Started becoming self righteous because, oh, well, I kept this and I kept this and I kept this and I kept this and thou art holy and you are not. And Paul says, that's not what's going to go on here. Whatever the law says, it says to those who were under the law that every mouth may be stopped. The law. Its job was to stop our boastful mouths of how good we are and how good we've done. He's saying, listen, verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh, none will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Listen, I, I don't want to leave on such a negative note because Paul picks it up in a positive note, chapter four, Blondie's gonna we'll cover that next week. But, Listen, here's the great thing. We aren't justified by the works of the law. We're justified by the works of the cross. That's so awesome. That's the good news. Man, you can't be good enough. I tell everybody, people say, well, you did good job, pastor. Good job. Or you did good on this. This is what I tell everybody. If it was good about me, it was God is bad it was me in our flesh dwells no good thing we can't justify our own self and we're not going to be made righteous by the right things we've done we're only going to be made righteous by the righteousness of Christ and Paul is again leveling that playing field between humanity the Jew and the Gentile so that they might see all of them have the need of a savior amen Hallelujah. You can close your Bible tonight. I'm done. I don't want to go any further because I don't want to get into chapter 4. But here's what that whole passage is about. You can close your Bible. You can stand tonight. I want to pray with you. Um, It's about the universality of sin. Listen, folks, we are all guilty without Christ. Without Christ. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. That guy on your job, that lady on your job, your coworker. You say, man, uh, there's nobody in here named Sue, is there? Uh, Miss Sue, she's such a nice lady. You know, she's just, she's just, a, she's just a sweet lady. You know, she, she buys us coffee every morning in the office. She knows what kind of latte I want and how much sugar I put in it. And she, she's just a sweet lady. She always asks me about my kids and, and, and all of those things. Listen, I don't care how sweet Miss Sue is, if she don't know Jesus... Jesus is the only way. So get this, Miss Sue needs you to tell her about Jesus so she can go to heaven. You see that, don't you? Right? There's no automatic salvations, right? People aren't just going to heaven automatically. They've got to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's trying to say. No good works, nothing like that. It's just equal playing field. So let's pray tonight. Father, we thank